Eventually, I'd like to do that. I think that'd be pretty neat. But let's go tonight to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, continuing our uh, preaching through the book of Second Corinthians, and we are in chapter six tonight. Chapter six, and some real good lessons that we can learn in here. And before we start chapter six, I want to just kind of remind us of the couple verses before. Uh, because they tie into what we're going to look at. So we just need to remind ourselves, um, because it was actually it was two weeks ago we did this. Last week we were outside, had the bonfire service out there, and I didn't do Second Corinthians last week. So just kind of a reminder, but in verse 20 of chapter 5, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We are Christ's ambassadors here on earth. We represent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not here on earth today in the flesh and He needs people here on the earth on His behalf and it's His people. It's those who are saved. We are His ambassadors and it's He's just got done saying that in chapter 5. And so now here we are in chapter 6. And it says in verse 1, We then as workers together with Him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. So who is that Him that we are working with? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? We work, we work with Him. Okay, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, there's people that are in this world that, you know, a lot of people think it would be a privilege to work for that person. You know, if a person maybe got appointed to a position, you know, to be up like on the president's cabinet, you know, they would look at that as a high honor. You know, I'm, I've been asked to work for the president. Well, we've been asked to work not just for Jesus Christ, but with him. Okay, I mean, we are working with him. We then, as workers together with him, Okay, and we as believers, we are his represent we are his representatives on earth. We're not just working for him, we are working with him. That ought to overwhelm us, not with fear, but really just with excitement, the fact that we are working with Christ. I mean that that's a big deal. That is a that is a privilege. That is an honor. That this is something that we should not take lightly. And you know, and what I'm, the main point, I guess the title of my message tonight is being a sanctified church. Okay? And that word sanctified, we're going to get more into this later, but the word sanctified means basically you know, made holy, consecrated, set apart for sacred services. Okay? We are, as a church, okay, we have a specific function. We belong to Christ. We are His church. We've got to just get that through our head. This church right here, this is not about us. This is not about what we like, what we feel, what we want to do. This is His church that He purchased with His own blood. It's His. And we need to think of it like that. Just like if you borrow something that belongs to someone else, okay, or if they allow you to use something that it belongs to them, you know, hopefully you have some respect for that item. Okay, you know, you can be rough with your own stuff if you want. Okay, if you want to go and you know do donuts, you know, with your car, 
you know, out on the road and stuff like that and peel out and do all those things with your vehicle, that's fine, but you shouldn't do it with someone else's. Okay? If it belongs to someone else, you ought to follow their rules. You ought to respect their wishes. And especially if they're letting you use something that's a huge help to you, something that's a blessing, you know, something that you would consider a privilege. And this is God's church. We are His church, okay? This, it's not this building. Us, okay? We are His. And let's just get that through our heads right now. We are His. We are, we are workers together with Him. And boy, we've got to take this serious. We've got to be, and it ought to excite us. We ought to look at it as a privilege. And unfortunately, people take Christianity so lightly these days. They look, I mean, it's such a, you know, church anymore. It's just so casual. As far as, you know, it's just all about what can I do to come get entertained, have a good time, be made to feel good. Not think about the fact that, wait a minute, part of why we're meeting together. We are workers together with Him. I'm supposed to be, you know, helping strengthen the believer. We're supposed to be edifying one another. It's not just so we encourage each other, just so we can make people feel good, but so we can, we're encouraging them to get out and do the work that God's called us to do, and that is bringing people to Christ. That ministry of reconciliation that it talked about in chapter five. I mean, this is an important job that we have to do. I mean, this is this is a big deal. This is big stuff. You know, we ought to be, you know. Excited about you know plotting and planning, and you know we ought to be excited about getting together and talking about you know our next soul winning trip that we're going to do. Hey, you know where where are we going to go this Saturday? You know what are we going to do? Hey, you know what's some more effective ways that we can you know get the gospel message across to people? You know and talk about these things, plot and plan. Let's take it serious. You know let's study for it. Let's prepare for it. Let's pray about it. Let's fast about it. I mean, we ought to make a big deal about what we're doing. It's a big deal. We're working with Christ. I mean, we ought to bring our A game to everything we do. We ought to want to do our very best. We work with Him. We work with Christ. And then verse 2, For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of of salvation. Okay? And I'll, I want us to do something here real quick. Something I've just made a habit of doing. I keep talking about this. I'm going to say it again. Whenever you read anything in the New Testament and it's quoting something from the Old Testament, it is very beneficial to go back and look at that in the Old Testament. And so I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And, I, and this, this will help us to get... Uh, you know, the message that God wants us to get. You know, a lot of times we use that verse, you know, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we use that encouraging people to get saved today and not put off getting saved. And I I think that's appropriate. But there's a little more to it than that. We're going to see something here that it ought to excite us as Gentiles especially. Okay? I mean, is anybody here, as far as you know, uh, you know, are you Jewish in your ancestry? As far as you know, anybody that you know of? Okay, uh, as far as I know, I'm not. You know, I might have some, but I don't know. So this, because so because of the fact that we're all Gentiles here, this ought to excite us a little bit. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse six, it says, and he said, and he said, is it a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, 
that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to him who man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves they shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. Basically, what it was saying here is, hey, he's talking about Israel, okay? And he's saying, you know what? I'm not just going to raise up Israel, but you know what? I'm going to give a light to the Gentiles. And we know now from the New Testament that as believers, we've been grafted in with the Gent- with the Jews, haven't we? Okay, and those who the Jews that haven't believed, you know, their branches were broken off. But we are now that Israel, aren't we? You know, we are the common citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel. We know all these things. Why? Because in Isaiah, he said there was a day coming, there was an accepted time coming when salvation was going to come to the Gentiles and they were going to be able to go and be a light to the desolate places, to the dark places, places like you know where we came from or where we descended from. Those were the desolate places. Those were the dark places. And what he's saying, when Paul said, behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation, he was saying, hey, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 through 8 has been fulfilled. This is that time. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Salvation is going out into all the world. And God has called you, you Gentiles. He has chosen you to go and to be a light to this world. He's called you ambassadors. He has included you. He has called you His people. We ought, and we ought to be excited about that. This isn't just about Israel anymore. This is about us too. And boy, what a privilege that is. That prophecy has been fulfilled. And that's why he mentioned that. Behold, now is the accepted time. This is that accepted time that was spoken of in Isaiah. That time has come. A light has come to the Gentiles. And Jesus Christ has chosen you to go and be a light to the world. Jesus Christ, remember He said, I am the light of the world. But He also said, ye are the light of the world. See, we're working with Him on this thing. And we should take this responsibility serious. This opportunity... It not only came with a great price, okay? You know, Jesus had to die on the cross, but this was, it was a major fulfillment of prophecy. This was something spoken of back hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, that this day was going to come. And Paul said, this day has come. And I'm afraid sometimes we get over things that we just shouldn't get over. I think we get over the fact that we got saved. We should never get over the fact that Jesus Christ saved us. We get over the fact that God wants to use us and that God has chosen us to fulfill a job and we ought to be excited about that. I mean, if anything, we ought to just look in the mirror every day and if anything, just say, you know, Lord, why? Why did you why do you give me the privilege to serve you? But Lord, I don't know why, but thank you. 
But you know, that's not the attitude of many people today. Most people today, they feel like they're doing God a big favor if they just show up for church on Sunday. And that's, that's too bad. That is not the attitude that we ought to have. What we do as believers is the most important thing in the world. Okay, you know, bringing people to Christ, that's more important than what they're doing in Washington. Yeah, everyone's talking about what they're doing in Washington all the time. You know, on the news, all we got to hear about is what they're doing in Washington. Why don't they talk about what's going on in the churches? Why don't they talk about, you know, you won't, you're not going to hear on the news tomorrow about people that have gotten saved in churches across America. You're not going to hear them talk about that. You won't hear those things because, you know, the world, they don't care about those things. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians, they get bored with it. You know, somebody gets saved after church and they bring, you know, they want to bring them up and present them for baptism. Oh, baptism, you know, man, that's good. You know, we're going to, Methodists are going to beat us to the chicken house again. You know, what are we going to, you know, we're that caught up on ourselves. We don't want to hear about somebody getting saved. We don't want to see somebody get baptized because we might get out of service a little late. When that's what it's all about. And I'm just, I'm telling you, I think that's sad. We ought to take this, what we're doing, seriously. And verse 3 says, "...giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed." See, this ministry that we have, it's the most important thing in the world. This is the most important job. I mean, it, it matters more than anything else in the world. I mean, you think about it. I mean, look at how much attention was focused this year on Washington and the Supreme Court when they made the big gay marriage decision. Okay. Now let's just be honest. As against that as we all were, how many of you personally have been affected by that yet? So far, it hasn't affected me. And I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about it. I'm not saying it's not important. Yet at the same time, you know, how many of you, you know, because of a church, because of a soul winner, okay, got saved one day? Well, man, that's the that's the best thing that ever could have happened. The best thing anything ever could have done, as far as you're concerned, that made it, that made a bigger effect on your life than anything the Supreme Court could ever do, than any president could ever do. The best thing they could do. Well, I mean, let's just say, let's just say that you know the one of these people running for president keeps all their promises. And they may they turn America into a paradise. All of a sudden, now we've all got good jobs. We all got the money for everything we could ever want to do, and we just live on. Everybody lives on easy street. But then we die and go to hell. Did they really accomplish anything? No. But man, that person that brought you the gospel and that led you to the Lord that made an eternal difference in your life. And let me. So what's more important? Who gets elected next November? Or what we're doing right here that makes an eternal difference in people's lives. So we, we take what we're doing way too lightly. We don't look at it as a big deal and being very serious. And we've got to understand that what we do here is important and how we act reflects on Christ. It said giving no offense in anything. We need to take our lifestyle very serious. You know, a lot of times we look at ourselves and we think, you know, I'm not a big deal. You know, can you imagine being one of these really famous people where everybody watches every little thing you do? I mean, you can't go anywhere without people taking your picture and people bothering you. And just every little thing you do, people critique it. And people criticize every little thing you do. And a lot of times it's easy for us to say, you know, nobody's paying attention to us. 
We don't matter. And a lot of times as Christians, we get real careless and we, we don't worry that much about sin. Well, you know, I'm not that big of a deal. I'm not going to hurt a lot of people if I sin. Listen, even if you hurt, what if it makes a difference to one person, whether they go to heaven or hell? That, as far as I'm concerned, that's a bigger scandal than another president, you know, committing fornication. Okay? I mean, yeah, that had a negative effect morally on America when it happened with Clinton, but, you know, did it make the difference on somebody going to heaven or hell? No. But what we do does. And we, the, and when we do wrong, you know, who do people blame? It's the ministry that gets blamed, doesn't it? If something, if, you know, if somebody here is in the news tomorrow because they did some horrible thing to somebody, people are going to try to attach it to this church. They're going to try to blame the church. They're going to blame the ministry. Is that fair? No. But is it going to happen? Yes. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's what the world does. The devil uses that. And so we've got to take our role as a believer in Christ, as a member of a church, as one of the ambassadors of Jesus Christ Himself, we ought to take our conduct very serious. Because we don't want the ministry getting blamed for anything. How we act, it reflects on Christ. And then verse 4 says, "...but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Okay? Now, what does all that say? What does that mean? Basically, what he's saying here is you're going to be tested. Okay? You are one of Christ's ambassadors, and you're going to be put to the test by the world. By stripes, imprisonments, they're going to do things to you. That you're, there's going to be persecutions that arise. There's going to be things that come our way. And not only that, okay, when we get attacked as believers, the world holds us to a different and unfair standard. Notice how he says here when he gets in verse uh, 8, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. Notice you know, these opposites, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chasing not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You know, we are as believers, the world even expects us, okay, that if wrong is done to us, that we're not going to do wrong back. Don't they hold us to a higher standard? You know, they expect us to be the one to turn the cheek, other cheek, right? They they expect us to be the one, you know, to put up with more. There, you know, if we're going through hard times, okay. They expect us to be the ones to stay faithful over someone else who maybe is going to despair and give up and quit. You know, whenever we're faced with trials, whenever we're maybe you know, you know, tempted to sin, maybe you're in a position, a tough spot financially. Okay, while 
You know, we're the ones that the world says, well, they better not steal. They would understand someone else stealing because they were hungry, but if it was one of us, they would they would jump all over that, wouldn't they? See, they hold us to a higher standard. They hold us to a different and an unfair standard. But you know, here's the thing: we've got to understand we are here as ambassadors. This isn't about what's fair and unfair. This is about us representing Christ and not making Him look bad. And you know what? We just got to accept the fact this world is unfair. They are going to be unfair. And you know, it's by design. They do it on purpose. They're, they're putting us to the test. Your coworkers are going to do that same kind of thing. If they find out that you're a believer, okay, and if you dare to start being a witness or you know, your life itself just shines a light on them, what happens? They're going to get convicted. If they're going to get convicted, they're going to start feeling bad about themselves. And so what they are going to do, they're going to put you to the test. They're going to try to push your buttons because if they can get you to do wrong, if they can get you to do exactly what they would do, they don't have to feel bad about themselves anymore. And then they could just if they can get you to just lose it and cuss them out one of these days, then they don't have to feel bad when they blaspheme God's name anymore. If they can get you to act like a lost person, they don't need to feel bad for the fact that they are a lost person anymore. Because they can't see Jesus Christ. He's not here on this earth. But you are. You're one of His ambassadors. You're one of His people. And you can make God look bad. Look how many people just hate religion today. And hate God. Now think about it. Why in the world would anyone hate God? Okay. I mean, what would make, especially these people too that call themselves atheists? You know, I love atheists. They say they don't believe in God. Well, I say I don't believe in atheists. Yeah. I don't believe you're really that dumb. Okay, I don't really believe you think you're, that you are convinced. I just think you don't like God, and so therefore you just want to deny that there is a God. But yet these people who they don't believe in God. They say they believe there is no God, yet the utter contempt and hatred they have for Him. And you know why they have that hatred for Him? It's usually because of the people that they've had in their life that represented God. They made them look bad. You know, maybe they had a preacher that turned out to you know, be a pervert or something. Maybe one that did something to them. And he represented God to them. And now, you know... They associated everything about God with that person, with that church, and because they did them wrong, now they hate God and anything that has to do with God. But was that God that did that to them? No. You know, as, and as individuals, we can do that to other people. Okay, you know how many? You know, there. Unfortunately, it's probably not that uncommon anymore for people to not have any Christian friends. And know them personally. I mean, we're becoming that few. I've been amazed just people I've talked to here in America, here in town, that know nothing about the Bible. They know names of Jesus, but I mean, they literally know nothing about the Bible. And they, but yet, they, a lot of times they know some people that are supposedly Christians that aren't very good people, and therefore, they so they when they think of God, they think of that person, don't they? 
And so we've got to understand we have to be on our best behavior because we represent God to a lot of people and they are, they're going to hold us to an unfair standard. Look what they did to Jesus Christ. Okay, they put Him on the cross. They mocked Him. They beat Him. And what did they expect from Him? Okay, what, what did they demand of Him? Well, they demanded that He come off the cross. If you're really God, come off the cross. Now, here's the thing. And this is just my personal belief. But, okay, now you and I know it would have been the wrong thing for Jesus to do that. And you know what? I think they knew it too. I think... If Jesus had done that, okay, I don't, I don't think those folks would have gotten saved. Truth is, they couldn't have gotten saved. But it's, it's like they just want they they had already decided they weren't going to follow him, they weren't going to believe him, and it's like they wanted to get him to do that to like take away. It's like they were trying to take away from who he was and what he was doing. Isn't that what the devil did? Okay, remember when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness? Now, I personally think. The devil did know that that was Jesus and that that was God he was dealing with. But yet, what did the devil keep saying? If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Why did, you know, did the devil really need to see that? Or was the devil trying to get him to do something that would take away from who he was? And isn't that what the world does to us? Hey, if you're really a Christian, do this. You know what? They're trying to bring you down to their level. It's just like the devil. It's exactly what the devil did. And you're going to be tested and you've got to understand, man, this is important. What I do is important. I have got to represent my God good. Don't don't depend on someone else's representation. Okay? You don't know where you stand as you know as far as importance in other people's lives. You know, you you know, don't think that hey, you know, it doesn't really matter how I am in the church. There's plenty of other people that others can look up to and respect. Okay, no, they someone's going to pick you. They 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 might pick you. You know, it's like you know, they can go after the past. You know, they can look up to the pastor. You know, everybody expects a certain behavior from the pastor. You know, the pastor gets paid to do what he's doing, but you, a member, you're not getting paid anything, and you're doing it anyway. That can be even more effective. Than me living, you know, like a Christian. You doing it. I've got everything to gain in their eyes. But you, you have nothing to gain in their eyes. But you're doing it anyway? That must mean there's something to it. I mean, so, man, take your position serious. You're going to be tested. Pass those tests, no matter how hard they are. And so then in verse 11, it says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but we are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And what he's talking about there, uh, you know, he's referring to the bowels and everything, but he's talking about just having a closeness with them. You know, and as believers, we need to have a closeness with each other. That's just an important thing. That's why we assemble together that you would consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, you know, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, as believers, we need to have a closeness with each other. I mean, we need to recognize the importance of 
ourselves. I've been talking about that mostly. You know, thinking, understanding just how important you are, your position as an ambassador. But then you need to take understand the same thing about the next person. And it, I mean, it ought to be your desire, and it ought to be in your heart for them to do a good job too. Just like you want to do a good job because you understand how important your role is. You need everybody else in the church. You ought to look at them and understand their role is just as important. And you ought to be praying for that person. If they're struggling, man, you need to lift them up. You need to try to help them, encourage them, motivate them because their position is so important. What they do, what they stand for, who they represent is so important. Whether or not they do a, you know, they do a good job or do a bad job, it can make the difference in someone going to heaven or hell. And we ought to, that's how we ought to look at each other. We ought to look at each other with that much importance. Whether it be an elderly person in the church to even just a little kid. It might be a little kid and we look and think, ah, you know, they can't do much, you know, they're not that significant, they're not that important. Hey, listen, that little child, if they're saved, they're an ambassador too. And they're going to grow up, and as they grow up, they're going to get to know more people. They're going to become more and more of an influence. And man, as an adult, you ought to want to play a part in how they turn out. You know, I think about you know, me, the uh, you know all my years growing up at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and all the adults in the church that played a role in me becoming who I was. Just many of my Sunday school teachers I had, just other adults, just people that that paid attention to me. That just loved me, you know, that would just do little things, you know, just bring me candy, you know, people that would just give me a dollar bill on my birthday. You know, I mean, you know what that kind of thing meant to me? You know how much I love those people and still love those people today? I mean, even though I'm now a member of another church, I mean, I still love those people like my own family. If something happened, if they needed me, man, I'd, I'd want to be there. You know, I've gone back to funerals, weddings. I want to be there for those things. I do. I still love those people. Why? You know, what did they do? You know, it was it was little things. They just loved me. They saw me as important. You know, these you know, these visitors we had this morning. You know, these young children. We ought to look at them as important, as special. That hey, these these are kids that if we reach them with the gospel, you know, there's going to be other people that they can reach that you and I probably can't. I mean, that's just man, that's just more souls. You know, we ought to look at that. You know, you know what we do most of the time in churches today, and this is just sad, but we do it. You know, we'll see a family come walking in, maybe they come driving in, in a nice car, wearing nice clothes, and boy, we see dollar signs. Hey, that's money. I uh, these people hope they hope they give good. And we get excited about those people. But you know what well, we ought when we see children, okay, young children Okay, well, we should we shouldn't be seeing dollar signs. We should be seeing soul signs. Yeah. Those are the easy ones to reach with the gospel. And sometimes little children are the best witnesses in the world. We ought to see that, and man, we ought to just be licking our chops. Hey, this is a chance to see some souls saved. Maybe even go and reach more souls. I mean, that ought to stir us up. That ought to get us excited because that's what we're about. We're not about raising money here. Okay, we could raise, you know. $50,000 and just do all kinds of nice things to this place and then a tornado could come wipe it out and it's all gone. That could happen so easy. Or we could do it and we could enjoy it for the next 20 years. Or we can win some people to Christ and enjoy it for all eternity. You know, why would we get more focused on money? 
I mean, that is not what we're all about. That's not what we're here for. It's absolutely ridiculous. And we need to understand that and have that closeness with each other because what each one does makes such a huge difference. And then in verse 14, look what verse 14 says. And so after it tells us all this stuff about the importance of what we do and who we are, it says, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness?" And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be My sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've got to understand that as a church, okay, we belong to God. This is a sanctified place. Okay? It has been set apart for God. We are a congregation. We are an assembly of believers here specifically for the worship of God to learn about Christ. This is, this is why we were here. We are a set apart group of people. And the Bible says, wherefore? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And what blows my mind and what just saddens me today is the way everybody is trying to reach the world is by integrating with the world. By joining up with the world. By being like the world. Acting like the world. Looking like the world. Talking like the world. Trying to make everything comfortable for worldly people. That's not what this is. Okay? I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. I, that is not my goal. That is not what I want to do. But listen, a person that is lost is going to be uncomfortable here in preaching against sin. And that is what it is. But that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? That's why, that's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to do. They're not going to like hearing about the things of God. Okay, the world today they don't like you know they don't like to look, talk, act, dress, whatever like a Christian. They're not comfortable with that. That's not what they enjoy. Okay, but that's what we are. We belong to God, and we are not going to compromise who we are and what we're supposed to do to make lost people feel comfortable. That's not. That's not why we are here. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart for God. And I believe we would be more effective by staying that way. We need to show a clear difference. But here's the thing though. What is it that people do? Whenever you do have a church, and maybe people on a lot of the outward things are doing good, they're being separated, what does everybody like to bring up? Hypocrisy. Okay? And listen, you know, I understand, you know, people are like you know, God only sees the heart. You know, man sees the but but man sees the outside. Man can only see the outside. Man can't see the heart. And we've got you know, we've got to make sure we're doing good on both ends. And unfortunately, today the trends of the world are and the trends in churches today are to become more and more like the world to make them feel comfortable. And unfortunately, we are losing sight of who we are. Okay? And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about who we are, like we're something really great. God did this to us. 
This was something God did to us when He saved us. And this is a special privilege and we've got to be different. See, joining up with the world, biblically, it's spiritual adultery. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain that the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Okay, And that verse there, the Scripture saith in vain, that is in um, Ecclesiastes 4.4 is the closest example I can find of it. But it says again, I consider it all travail in every right work for that... Uh, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor, this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. And then uh, Psalm 73.3 says, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Okay? And what he's trying to say here, and, and this is just... You know, the same problems that we're having today, they were having back then. Okay? The exact same problems. And he's telling us all these things. We've got to be separate. We've got to be different. You know, the friendship with the world is enmity with God. What? Now, why do you think? What would be the motivation for a church, ambassadors of Christ, a sanctified, saved group of people, I mean, separated by God for a specific purpose, why would they want to get accepted by the world? I mean, do we not... what? What's the end going to be for the world? It's not going to be pretty, is it? Okay, we know what the end of the world's going to be. It's not going to be pretty. What does the you know? So why do we want so much to be accepted by them? And here's the only thing I can think of, and that is, they can offer us popularity. You know, maybe we can get more money. Maybe we can get bigger numbers. Listen. You know, we're at the spirit that dwells within us, lusteth to envy. You know, we look and we see the big crowds that some of these other places are getting. Okay, you know, ball games, they get more people in church than we do. So maybe we ought to do our church more like a ball game. You know, maybe we ought to have a little more fun and games in between innings, like they do in between innings and stuff, and, you know, do giveaway prizes. Let's get a big jumbotron and, you know, and put cameras out in the crowd so people can see themselves on the big jumbotron and let's just have a good time, get everybody yelling and screaming and having a good time. Make it more like a ball game. Those, I mean, look how much money they're making. You know, look at, look at the crowds. Look at the money. Look at the popularity. Look at the people, you know, clamoring to be there. You know, look, you get to looking at that stuff and it's like, yeah, I, I could see wanting some of that. I could, see want, I could see wanting a piece of that. And the reason churches are getting worldly, it's, it's the lust of their flesh. They're, they're not thinking about God anymore. They're thinking about what the world has to offer. And these things that are, that are changing churches, it's not, once, like we talked about this morning, it's not the Bible changing them. It's the world changing them. It's the lust of the flesh. The stuff they're all going after. The thing that's making them all change. It's all just. It's all about lust of the flesh. And the Bible called he called them adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that friendship in the world is enmity with God? If the world is liking what we're doing, okay, God probably doesn't. Enmity. There's a hostility. You know we're working against each other. And chances are, if you're working with God, 
the world's not going to like what you're doing. But man, churches today and preachers are bending over backwards to just do whatever they can to be loved by their community. And I'm not trying to make our community hate us, okay? I don't want to do that. I'm careful. You know, I'm tactful and all these things. But at the same time, I want to win people to Christ. I mean, what do you think is going to happen if you start winning people to Christ in a Muslim community? Well, that community is going to hate you, aren't they? But isn't that kind of what we're supposed to do? You know, what and you know, what do you think is going to happen? You win people in the Jewish community, they're going to hate you. And what do you think you're going to do when you win people to Christ in such a secular, you know, heathen community like we have in America today? They're not going to like that either. Because you know what? Chances are, if those people get saved, they're going to start changing things in their life. They're going to start cleaning up their act. And people are going to start being convicted because now we've got another light in the world shining a light on their sin, showing them their need for a Savior. And they're not, they're not going to like it. And I just, it's sad that so many people are doing all they can. Churches are losing sight of who they are, getting away from their specific purpose that God gave so they can be accepted by a group that hated our Lord, that hates our God, and that hates true believers. And man, we have been called for something so much better. Okay, all right. Let's say we do. We win the admiration of America. We make the whole world think we're great. But what? Who are some of the most respected, loved people today? Actors, actresses, athletes. They draw the biggest crowds, don't they? They have the most adoring fans. I mean, listen. You know, if you are a really good singer, okay? Remember Michael Jackson? He was on trial for being a pervert, and man, he had thousands coming out there just cheering him on. I saw a video, he comes out of the courtroom after all this, and he gets up on top of his car, waving to the crowd, and everybody's going crazy. Man, they loved him. People loved that guy. But do you think God was pleased one bit with that? And it's like that's what Christians are shooting for. Man, what's wrong with us? Why doesn't the world like us? And truth is, if the world doesn't like you, that's a good sign you're probably doing something right. And I'm not saying you got to go be like a Westboro Baptist people or something. Some people are just obnoxious and they think that's being spiritual and being like Christ. You know, if you're obnoxious, everybody's going to hate you. Okay? That's just, and there, there's a huge difference. But. We need to remember that we are to be a light to the world. We cannot change who we are for any reason. Our priority as a church is not going to be to be a blessing to the community. Our goal as a church, our priority, isn't even just to win souls. Our priority is to glorify God. And we glorify God through obedience to His Word. That is our priority. That's what we've been called to do. We were created for His pleasure. This is, this is His Word. He told us how to do things in His book. And when we do it our own way, God is not glorified in that. We might get a bigger crowd. We might even get more professions from people doing it our way. But I believe in the long run, you're going to see less people saved. And you're definitely going to see God not being pleased. And that's... That's not why we're here. Our purpose is to glorify God. And I want you to think about that word being sanctified. Set apart for a specific purpose. 
That's who we are as Liberty Baptist Church. And if you're saved, that is who you are as an individual. And you remember that when you go out tomorrow. When, you, when you're at work tomorrow, remember that hey, you're an ambassador for Christ. You watch yourself. You're gonna watch, you better watch your mouth. You better watch your attitude. You better watch the way you treat other people. You represent Christ. You may be the only light in those people's lives. When you go to school, you might be the only light that some of those other kids have and you better take that serious. You're going to get treated unfair. Things that are done to other kids that they blow their top for, nobody will think a thing of it. But if you do it, they're going to make a huge deal. That's not fair, but that's the way it is. And if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to just put up with some unfairness and stand strong and be alike to the world. That is who you are. And so with that, I want us all to stand together.